Welcome to the Five and Nomad Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hazen. Coming up on this episode, we are discussing Meg, uh, which order we're going to do? Michael Mann and Meg Gardner's. We're going to put both authors in this. Michael Mann and Meg Gardner's book, Heat 2. And along with me today is Ted Haycraft. Yeah, but are we going to talk about Heat as much as we do the book, uh, the movie? The You know that's what's going to happen, uh, inevitably. <laughs> uh, I. This book came out a year ago, but um, I, I guess it's out in paperback now. But yeah, you know, to give be uh, to be honest with the audience, uh, Shane's been wanting to do this one forever because Shane picked the book up right away and zoomed right through it. We will talk about this here, and it was like pulling teeth out of me to get the, finish the book. It had nothing to do with not wanting to read it or not that I, I was looking forward to it and I was very excited about it. But just the whole idea of uh, I'm, I'm a nonfiction reader, and it's been forever you're since a, I've read You're a f- nonfiction book about film reader. Yeah, especially that. Or, you know, Bob Dylan books. Uh, yeah, yeah, pop yeah. culture. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's brine it. Pop culture. But, uh, yeah, I thought, oh, my gosh, prose. And <laughs> we'll, we'll get to this in a second. But first off, what did you watch this week, Daddy? Anything cool? Uh, I get to go back to see The Sting on the big screen. Showplay Cinemas locally uh, opened in 1973, so they're doing their 50th anniversary. They're having throwback pricing and showing movies from 1973. And that's the very first film they showed. It is a very... I uh, I think uh, the owners said that that was the first show. film they showed uh, was uh, The Sting. And it's it's such an interesting film. It's such... You cannot deny the enjoyability. Enjoyability? I watched watched it... uh, The the joy of that film. Uh, But it's so... It is like on the nose film. You know what? I rewatched it about um, uh, two months ago. And I remember because I was thinking of putting it in the category. I don't know what was the, maybe it was a while back because I was thinking about it in our uh, diehard conversation. But I was thinking about it in terms of the perfect script. But I don't know if in terms of like a script that's like clock. When you yeah. say perfect, you mean clockwork where everything pays off and it's got the audience feeding out of its pa- the palm of its hand. Just across the board, you, you sit there and the credits. You know, I, I, I think Shane... I, I don't even like the last turn, too, that much. I, I think you're like me, possibly. Uh, you're probably maybe better at it than I am. You know, you know some producers' names. You know some editors' names. Uh-huh. You know, uh, costume designers, set designers. But you don't know all of them. They don't all come to the top. You know, obviously, actors and directors get you know, the, the memory game. You know, you play a memory game on them really well. But, man, when I watched the credits, the scene, I'm like, oh, gosh. I, you know, Robert Surtees. Uh, Michael and Julia Phillips, uh, Zanuck and Brown, everybody, you know, going all these teams going by. I go, I know all these people. So it's like it's like uh, Eddie his head doing the costumes. It's like wow, this is cream of the crop, all of the line. The other day you got mentioned as uh, your own personal IMDb. So <laughs> I guess this is just you, your your self validation of your own. Personal well, I mean, IMDb. With, especially with uh, certain names. Like I said, I don't know all. I you know I don't recall editors all as well. But this you know I think. Oh, of course it's the editors. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Uh, or cinematography or whatever, but it, uh, this one I, I like. Oh, I know, yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, you could tell it's kind of on a set. It's got like a Hollywood throwback set on a studio set. Sure, look. yeah, definitely. Even though they kind of got a, it's a seventies, got some little dirt put in there, a little filth in there, a little bit. But uh, and then you get the Marvin Hamlish doing Scott Joplin rags, ragtime music, and it's just, uh, boy, you just can't, you know, I I can't. I would be hard pressed to find somebody that didn't like the film. Well, the, the thing that hit me when I last watched it was that uh, maybe the cream of the crop rises on this, but Redford, you know, we, we've talked about sometimes with a movie star, 
it's not necessarily their performances or the movies that sometimes, especially with Tom Cruise, it's their taste. Right. We like, oh, they pick good movies. Yes. Redford is consistently be good about picking good scripts. I thought. I don't know if it's the best of his stuff, but like, there's so many of his scripts that he's worked with that are either really high up on like the most beloved scripts of all time, you know, Butch Cassidy and something's kid, or even something like a uh, Spy Game. I remember being so clever and so. Well, even Three Days of Condor, I, I, yeah. just, they just did a 4K of that. All the President's Men and, work uh, with Goldman as much as he does. Yeah, Glenn Erickson uh, did an re- interesting review uh, where I, I, it, it's like, it's it's not, it's not, it has none of the dirt. Uh, it, it does, but I mean, uh, Parallax View and the pre- all the President's Men, all the conspiracy movies that came out around that same time, the other ones are so much darker and gloomier and have more gravitas. This one actually is much more entertaining. It is well, didn't even at the time it had the reputation of like movies are starting to get a little glum. This is a happy movie or a movie that would make it fun to come to the, well, to the but theater. It does, but it is glum. I mean, it, it is dealing with the post Watergate fallout, definitely. Fair enough. But uh, it's got a little bit more. It's got the Hitchcockian feel too, because he gets you know he hides out with Faye Dunaway and all of a sudden. Oh, sorry, I was still on the Sting, not the Three oh, Days of the Condor. Oh, no, sorry, sting, I was, but I'm talking about Three Days Condor. Yeah. So I was, but anyway, yeah. But the, well, uh, I mean, that's that's yeah, the Sting was that's, back. That's Sydney Pollock polish there yeah. too. Sydney, uh, but the Sting is a, yeah, definitely what you said. So another good throwback that everybody has a good feeling walking out on. Yeah. Um, last night I watched. Was it last night? Have you ever seen Petrified Forest? Oh my gosh! Uh, if I have, it's been so long ago. Um, it's the one that kind of put a Bogart. Bogart play, yeah. Bo- Davis is in it. Uh, I don't know. Oh, and, and what's his name? Go with the wind guy, uh, Leslie Howard. It's Leslie Howard. Thank you, Leslie Howard. Because well, <laughs> last episode we were talking about Inglorious Bastards in lieu of To Be or Not to Be, and I really hit me. Michael Fassbender in Inglorious Bastards is completely impersonating Leslie Howard. At least, what do you think? At least in uh, uh, Petrified Forest. Petrified Forest has. I want to throw this out at you. There's sometimes. When I watch a movie that's pretty old that isn't classic or beloved or like remembered as much, but has some fans, yeah, where I am really forgiving for it as a time capsule. Okay, is that one of them? Because uh, yes, it, yeah, but it but it does stick out. It's it's kind of oh no no, it totally stuck. Well, yeah. just from just from the performances alone, it stuck out. Yeah. The ending, some of the stuff with Bogart at the end was great. Uh, Leslie Howard's the writing on it. I don't want to spoil it if you're going to see it, but like Leslie Howard at the end, like there's a certain level of fatalism he has. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at the time that was a very well-known play. That 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 doesn't surprise me, yeah. but again, because the same to, things, but test taste change and, and what was kind of hot at one time is now kind of wasn't well, even taste. I'm saying just uh, the ongoing tropes. I'm not saying storytelling automatically always gets better, but it is a, a ongoing. It's a little arched. It's a little stiff, right? Uh, kind of. Yeah. It, it was. It was. It's not stiff. Rough. Probably the directing. You know the direction. I can't even remember the director's name. Yeah, I, I, I can't but, remember either. Well, because I mean, it starts out on a really interesting set, and I think there's even um, one of the first usage, or I don't know, it's the first, but it's one of the first ones I've ever seen. Uh, earliest back of a heat lamp. You know, where you put a heat lamp in front of a lens to get the mirage wave. Uh, yeah. And then, then it goes straight into a studio set after that point. But my point is, the endeavor of storytelling, the com- collective human endeavor of storytelling, is an ongoing process of sophistication where it gets better and better. I think, or at least people learn from each other and try to get better and tell. And the ones that do that truer you, stories. You go back and you do watch and go, oh, it's a little stiff or this, that, blah, blah, blah. But 
But then there's there's a, there's a, all of a sudden there's a Howard Hawks film or there's a Hitchcock film, and you go, oh well, this is why it's got its reputation because it's 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 forward, it's much more progressive in its writing and and style that it holds up. I think that's yeah. the definition of what a classic is. I mean, like his, and, and I'm not saying well, that's a movie that like still speaks to people years after. Yeah, I think Petrified Force is more in terms of. I wouldn't call it a classic. Well, I think yeah, probably. I think probably your th- the reason it's important is because of the evolution of the stars in it. It's a it's a pivotal part maybe in their, in their evolution. Yeah, I think I'd heard the, the reason I wanted to watch. I think Guillermo del Toro mentioned it offhandedly, and you know he's he's got a great list of uh, uh, film noir recommendations. Um, but well, yeah, when I started becoming kind of a, what do you want to call a cinephile or whatever you want to call, you, 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 you did seek it out. I, I remember thinking that popped up a lot just because of the Betty Davis Bogart part parts and how that was important to their careers. to the book you all right i, I want to give you a form right here you seem have seen mystified as for why i wanted to do this in the first place yeah well yeah actually because of all the things we could we got we could do we could talk about and things that we like and and things that we're more expertise on and and some that we don't even hard to do any homework on at all why homework that's the well, issue <laughs> well but uh, yeah, I just uh, and I think I think I I'm gonna I think I know what your answer is gonna be, but your answer is because of the movie Heat. I I am almost equally mystified. It's like, why are you not into this? Like, look, I I I know you probably have way more experience with earlier versions of you know we just did the episode of convergence culture on transmedia and different versions of a movie and expanding the universe of a movie. And what always happens is those get diluted. They like the original creator had one story they want to tell. It becomes popular, and then they hire out people to come up with glorified uh, fan service to rewrite to expand the universe. And I mean, yes, there have been times in the past where I remember the Timothy Zahn Star Wars books when they first came out. I was, I was like really excited to read the, those. But for example, but ex- I'm. I'm just as used to it being trash. That's fine. Okay, Ted. <laughs> no, 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 no but I mean, I, I've had a. I, it's interesting because you're 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 correct about that. Uh, the dilution, but I I think over I think over the decades of being a fanboy, uh, I've I've come I've gone up and down about this. Okay. Like when the, when the I I was just as a kid in '68, '69, '70. I thought the good bad the, the the man with no name trilogy was just the greatest thing in the world, and they came out with a spinoff paperback series, and I love I, I I ate them up, I read them, I bought them right away. There is a very good source of childlike enthusiasm that gets adv- its advantage taken over by people trying to like, you know, right. dilute this down. And then I then I go back and go I look how cheaply written those books are, and and there was really no reason for them, but. Uh, and then, uh, being a comic book fan uh, fanatic over the years, we always looked down upon movie adaptations. They were like, there was almost just that Marvel would do it just out of uh, some extra bucks. They were not, it would not, they were not invested. Okay. And so we always thought, well, we knew they were not. Let's, let's make it clear: this is not a movie adaptation. Two, let's also sure. take let's take this out of the repertoire. 
the thing about Heat and Michael Mann's filmmaking that we all love is this shit is adult. This is not child. Yes. I mean, maybe at the end, at the beginning of the day, I, I heard her describe that Michael Mann's MO is a very child, I think he's even said it, a very childlike premise expanded out as an adult. So it's cops and robbers or, you know, he saw Last of Mohicans really young and he wanted to remake it for years, but obviously becomes more poetic and adult. Michael Mann is, when you think of Heat, you think of a movie that is expansive, novelistic. You think of Michael Mann has at his heights of his storytelling powers is not just a great filmmaker. He's a great writer and he's a great writer with a lot of detail underneath the surface and a lot of life lived by his characters that when when he's at his best, I would say. So him expanding this universe, especially the heat universe, this isn't him making, you know, black cat too. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I don't uh, you know, I've always had, you know, I started out, you've heard this, this old nugget of mine over and over again where I was actually let down when I first initially saw Heat. You, we, we, we talked about this before, and I think I may even talk about this on other episodes. I was working for a director at the time, I won't name names, but uh, I had, at the end of my working with them, we, they had, we had lunch with them, and I was still working at the theater in Austin that had a digital cinema where you could hook up a... We, I think it was HD DVD. It wasn't even Blu-ray at the time, but you could hook it up to the first DCP. So we, wa- I watched a long series of movies on the big screen that no one else had access to. And I just remember on my birthday watching Heat and just how one of my favorite shots in all the cinema is going in the, the overexposure, going into the tunnel and just how overwhelming it was seeing that. And the director was just like, had your story. They were just, they saw it when it came out and they were a little disappointed i think roger ebert in his review talk we'll, we'll go into this later but he complained about the flip side of the coin that cops and robbers are on the same yeah i mean you, gosh you gotta go you go dial back and go when thief came out uh it was just like oh here's a new voice there's a new look and a new just amazing director debut uh and uh to see that i was i didn't mind the keep uh uh, no, it, we have an episode on the keep. Yeah, uh, yeah, but you ought to listen to that and we rhapsodize on that back then. And then Manhunter comes along, and I'm like, even better. I'm like, oh my gosh, and and the uh, the, the visuals in Manhunter were just amazing. Is that and uh, and he's doing that in the midst of Miami Vice, and then uh, and then all of a sudden here comes Last of Mohicans, and and that to me is a perfect film. I don't know, you can't get any better than Last of Mohicans in, in my book. And I, I saw it multiple times in the theater. So I, here comes Heat now, is announced. De Niro, Pacino together. It's cops and robbers. It's, it's a crime, modern-day crime film. I'm like, oh, this is just going to just blow the hair off my head when I see this thing. Didn't you see it twice on like, the it first day? Twice. I, early morning screening uh, with the, 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 maybe the Evansville Critic and some maybe employees. And then I, I turned right around again and saw the, like, the first showing in the day paid showing today with my two buddies and I'm, I'm like i'm already working like why am i not? this is like and then for, of course that and the side note of that is one of the friends todd fox is sitting there and i go todd goes well this is la takedown we're and, definitely going to talk about la takedown here in a second i, I go what what do you what do you mean to la takedown he goes yeah that tape you gave me uh, uh it was my own tape i hadn't watched it yet i had taped it off of uh television like a man tv movie and uh, and and Todd, so that was kind of ruined for Todd because like, why is he remaking a movie this you know this soon doing a turnaround on something? 
So I was like just mixed with things, but now I love the film, and I almost like I couldn't. I almost just want to keep on watching it again now. Well, Heat's power isn't in rewatching it. Yeah, it, it is. really is. I, I mean, I, 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 I think my first hearing of it was wasn't theatrical. It was a video. I was proud. Um, I, I, I think the statute of limitations. I can mention this. I used to rent movies from Blockbuster, and I was proud because you put the two VCRs together to bootleg them for yourself, so you can rewatch it. And it was a two tape. It was a two two tape VHS. And I remember I stitched it together perfectly into one <laughs> EP. And I was so proud of myself for that. But oh yeah, That's really so... downgraded pan scan. But let's talk about the book a little, okay? All yeah, right. Sure. Uh, uh, one the big appeal for starters. Let's talk about the concept of spoilers. What we're going to spoil about this? I think anyone who's listening to this wants to hear about Heat Two. There's a few different camps. There's the people who read it. There's the people who haven't read it and are okay with us spoiling it. Those are the people who should be talking to. There's a big, strong possibility this might be made into a movie. If you're not going to read the book and are kind of holding out for the movie and don't want to be spoiled on the movie, okay, you don't want to, you don't have to listen to this episode because we are going to spoil the book. Fair enough. All right. The thing that's great about this this book, uh, I, I think we talked about this with uh, by with ourselves uh, about Black Hat as being like a little bit of a Rosetta Stone for Michael Mann's work. This no, this is like five modern Michael Mann movies in one. There's so much content in this. And it feels like the jumping back and forth between Chicago and LA with a little bit of Mexico, but mainly Chicago and LA. This is a really Rosetta Stone for Michael Mann. Right. Oh yeah. Obviously because you got uh, the Chicago, and this is what made me come up this a little weird. I'm going to say something very weird here and you're going to roll your eyes, but you, you got the Chicago Michael Mann. And you got the L.A. Michael Mann, and then you got this whole weird, strange uh, South America, uh, modern, uh, almost dreamlike, a uh, modern age, uh, working with uh, technology ahead of its time, and blah blah blah. Michael Mann. There's a quote later in the book: uh, "In transnational organized crime." Right. That's the so Michael Mann we're talking about. Major, but that's the black hat. Michael yeah, Mann. the black hat of the of the of the book. So I was thinking, I've been, you know, this thing's been floating around my brain. I'm thinking, you know, it's interesting, I, thief. You know, it's one man's thought, and, and there's a bunch of a lot of the character James Con plays is translated into the Nero character in Heat. Uh, sure. And uh, so you got uh, this is a Thief, Heat, and Heat Two are kind of a trilogy in their own way, in a, in a way that Fistful of Dollars, Forty Five Dollars More, and The Good, Bad, and The Ugly are. Heat it, Thief and which one? Uh, the book Heat uh, Two. I you know so the, the big the big observation I have a feeling about Heat too is that this is his, like if Heat had aspirations to be Godfather this is clearly the Godfather well, too yeah I know this I, like I said this is really strange but I I just because uh, Le- Leone and my, both Ben and Leone are sort of my cinema gods and so I think about them all, a lot listeners of the podcast are surprised by that they've never <laughs> heard you say that before you know I've kind of bumped man out for another guy but we won't go into that uh, we don't need to go into no. that. Um, Fistful Dollars deals with one character mainly, Clint Eastwood, uh, and 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 Thief is basically James Caan. A few dollars more, you got Van Cleef added into the mix, the older bounty hunter, the young bounty hunter, where and the Heat is the cop and the criminal, and and how they bounce up, uh, against each other. One might say that everyone's expectations of what Hannibal was going to be. <laughs> everyone thought um, the Brian Cox and uh, William Peterson. William Peterson's character, Will, Will Graham, was going to uh, go with Clary Starling. Uh, that, that, that's what they thought the third uh, uh, 
Hannibal Lecter's that book was going cool. to do, yeah. but it didn't do. Anyway. Uh, so the and then and then he gives the now he writes the book he too that's the good bad and the ugly it's got multiple characters multiple things going on and it's and everybody loves and thinks of good bad and the ugly as a masterpiece so if he too can make translate to a great film you know this could be his one of his I, masterpieces I just have trouble with that just because but, I know it's it's it's, it's silly. well no because the, the second one the Godfather or the, the the Godfather to Heat is just like these are like it doesn't have a straight line of, even if it's about two characters or you're in a two handed line like it is it's so expansive I, I, yeah I'm just more it's more of a uh, in terms of uh, Michael Mann's playground because you know Sergio says the man with the character Clint Eastwood technically is not the same guy in all three films they're all three they just have this similarity to them. And and I think thief you go from thief to heat to heat two, you kind of got those building blocks just like the uh, Man with No Name trilogy has. Well, the other the, the, the I, I'm harping on the Godfather two thing because it's also great. It's like it's a, it's goes back and forth in time, but you also have one of the main characters be a character who died in the first movie. Spoiler for Heat. Um, so you're saying you're saying if Heat two does get made and it gets close and it's made close to the book, it's going to be. What Godfather Two is the Godfather He Two will be the. He I don't. I don't. That that's a quality assessment yeah. of a. That, 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 I'm saying the story structure and the the the, the attempt is the structure of it feels the same. Of course, you know, I I you know Quentin, you know, doesn't want to be an old man director, and um and Michael Mann, how old is he now? He's up there. He's in, eighty, I think. I think eighty years old. And uh, you know, somewhat maybe Black Hat was is one of his old man films because it didn't do that well. You, yeah. I like old, I like Black Hat. Yeah, I, I, I was gonna and, say and, Black Hat know, is not. I just you and I talked about this, and I, I when my first re, uh, the first thing I said to you is like, it's like watching the best hits of Michael Mann. Yeah, well, we, and we, it's funny because like when a director goes a long time without making a movie, uh, we I did this with uh, Avatar: Way of the Water. You, you almost when they do certain stuff, you're like, is it a greatest hits? When just they haven't made a movie in a while. <laughs> yeah. All right. Back again to the book. Sorry, sorry. The book is dedicated to Michael Mann's father, Jack Aaron Mann, and the thing is to who inspired anything. One of the interviews, I think it's Hollywood Reporter around Ferrari that came out, uh, describes a story I'd never heard. Michael Mann, as a child with his brother, tried to burn down a chain grocery store that was crushing his father's small shop. Have you heard this? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think he, the Heat universe expands. Michael Mann says this in the Heat commentary, and... It's in the first few pages of Heat 2. It's also in the first few pages of the Heat screenplay. I think it's in there. Or maybe it's at the very end when they have uh, Macaulay or Neil and Hannah have their big... The, the phrase is, they understood each other as if they were the only two people on the planet. I also want to go into a little of where's the origin of Michael Mann's crime obsession come from? And I think I've got something where, so Michael Mann was a uncredited screenwriter on street time, the Dustin Hoffman movie. Was it Oleg Grossbard that came in? Yeah, yeah. Dustin Hoffman was going to direct it. And right at the near the, 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 he kind of backed out and had someone else direct it. And I, I think Michael Mann was his screenwriter, even though he wasn't credited. Michael Mann did a lot of research at, Folsom, I believe, the uh, Folsom Prism, and oh, don't forget. Also, it's, uh, he did a lot of cr uh, TV crime screenplays, uh, scripts for TV shows, like, uh, Vegas, Vegas and, all that, and lots of other ones, like one of the cops. Do you? Shows. Would you? But there's something that Michael Mann's whole thing is about his, his. We'll talk about this also. His sense of like 
he's he's he says he does a lot of research he wants to show off all his research he wants to make everything feel lived in or real if you don't know exactly what's happened the, he's michael mann is such a great talker about his research and that sometimes you don't know if he's bullshitting or not to a certain extent because especially he has the same research and th that's why i want to get into this so uh at at, at Folsom, when he's writing straight time i guess is where I, he has to meet straight time is based off of a book called no be so fierce by edward bunker eddie bunker if you if you've paid close attention to walter hill and tarantino films you actually know who Eddie Bunker He's is. Mr. Blue and Reservoir Dogs for, but he, he's the basis of Nate and Heat. He was, a, and he's a accredited advisor, I think, credited advisor on Heat. Well, th that's that's one of the guys he brings up. That probably is a. I really want to read No Beast So Fierce. I guess. And then I think another Animal Crack Animal Factor Factory with Steve yeah. Buscemi film. That's an yeah. Eddie Bunker screenplay. Uh, the uh, and Eddie Bunker's was really good friends with Danny Trejo. Of course, Trejo's in uh, Heat. Mm -hmm. uh, they were both. I don't know if they're in the same prison or not, or something. But there's a connection there. What about? Uh, are you going to get to this? Are, are you plan? Oh, because we, we're going to get to Jericho Morrow, which is what put him in on the map. And his very yeah. first feature, not well, a, not a theatrical feature. It was a TV movie. But... TV movie, but theatrical in Europe. Sure, that yeah. happens a lot. Well, I was going to talk a little bit about Chuck Adamson. Oh yeah, yeah. Chuck Adam, Chuck Adamson, Chuck Adamson, and uh, you're going. I can let you talk for a while on Dennis Farina. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. These I mean, were they were they were this arena is familiar to a lot of people. Chuck Adamson, he, he he I mean, he wrote some Miami Vice episodes. He's the co-creator of Crime Story. Right. Or actually, I think the thing is he was the creator and Michael Mann shepherded it through, but they were cops. Yeah. They, they were partners together in and, Chicago. And Adamson actually killed the real Neil McCauley back I I get different numbers or years but uh, i believe man has said 1963 a few times well the whole scene where they de niro pacino meet that actually happened in a variation in when real we, life when we get to la takedown what's funny about that is the real version of that scene happened in a parking lot where where adamson was going with macaulay was getting his dry cleaning and in la takedown it's in a dry cleaning parking lot right and uh, the uh chuck adamson and Farina, and there's another guy named a thief, a, a Santucci. They're all, uh, they show up in Thief, uh, playing actually characters and were advisors to M Michael when he does that. And then we go back up to the John Santucci. Film, Jericho Morrow with, uh, he, he, you know, my homework and research, he did, you know, he did hang out and get a lot of, uh, uh, beat for the film for but those th these three people keep coming up over and over True. and over and they're they're close lifelong friends with michael mann and so he keeps touting this research which is is you know a lot of ride-alongs he also talks about a lot of lapd ride-alongs he was doing with the uh, um i forget the then chief of for police in the lapd chief of police at the time i mean yeah i'm not, I'm not gonna like he, he's doing his research but he he talks about the same three people a lot yeah the development of this supposedly he started in the first mention, there's a 180-page script in 1979 that he was supposedly working on after Thief, and he wanted Walter Hill to do, uh, direct for a while. The Heat 2? No, Heat. Oh, Heat. Oh, he, the he original Heat. You only Hill. It's interesting. I, I've always, you know, I was, I, I'm, I'm really curious about the uh, the relationship and closeness, if there is closeness to Walter and uh Michael, because they share a lot of sensibilities. Sensibilities. They, they share a lot of the same actors, uh, and 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 different things and tropes and uh, and and their Peck and Paul. You know, a lot of times, uh, especially Hill got you know compared to Peck and Paul, they both all have 
Walter has the pick and pull connection doing the screenplay for the getaway. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it would be interesting to see a collaboration with them together. Uh, as opposed, I mean, did you think the collaboration was on aviator work with man and Scorsese? I don't know. If uh, was a, don't, I don't know if it was a real collaboration. Yeah, I don't you really don't, you don't get a sense of that. Cause he, really cause, do. cause uh, he also, you, I think you've mentioned this before, not here that, uh, man's on Ford and versus Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, I think, um, okay. But, well, now I want to talk about LA Takedown. You had the tape. Yeah, I had the tape, and I recorded, and I didn't. Uh, I, I I never got around to watching it before uh, Heat came along, and that's what Todd. That's always it's always colored Todd's viewing of Heat, and um, and uh, I. Uh, you saw it after Heat, though, right? Yeah, I finally watched it at one point. I've kind of forgotten most. If of you're this. in, this is the other reason why I think this book is. It was a reason I wanted to go through it, just because. This is a movie that he, a passion project for Michael Mann, that at one point he was going to turn into a TV show. And L.A. Tickdown was the backdoor pilot that there was a fight over. The main actors are Scott Flank and Alex MacArthur. Right. And I think it's tricky to measure their performance because the other version is De Niro and Pacino. Well, yeah, and he's, he's working on a TV budget. It's a pilot. They shot for 20 days and he shot from february 21st 1995 to june 1995 i love i've seen this i think this is my second or third time watching la takedown it is especially if you love heat you need to watch la takedown it is the it is a coolest film school i cannot think of any greater example <laughs> of like this is what what time adds you this is what better casting adds you or more uh measured casting does because the LA take down the seat of his pants. Almost everything except being pared down hap- that happens in heat happens in, and it just it also this is also a great example of like not every screen pain needs to be cut to its bone because LA take down is heat cut to its bone, and yet heat is the much more richer. I love Michael Mann always calls heat the chorus. It is, it is just the best film school I think, or a great film school. Oh yeah, I mean you don't get and how, how many opportunities do they ever get the to go back and revisit something that you're a passion of yours and you get to actually get the money and do it right. Or you feel like you're getting to do it right. Yeah. And, uh, and the other weird thing about it, there's two things that I note about LA takedown. I also want to mention Neil McCauley. They didn't use his real name. They call him Pat, which is what you think someone would do. And then, and he, they use his real name. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think, uh, of course, yeah, that was probably closer to when Neil was, had been taken down in the real, in real life. Um, and the the other real quick thing I wanted to mention was that it has a completely relatively different ending, even though there's a hand holding at the end. But we were talking about you know uh, different TV show projects. Yeah, different TV shows and stuff. It was in 2002 to 2003, uh, 13 episodes of a film, a series called Robbery Homicide Division. What year? What year is it? 2002 to three. I don't remember. Is it like a CBS show? Yeah, it was like a, I think it was on USA Network. I think. Oh, that that okay. That's... Yeah. And I think it was finally, it's funny, they didn't give the green light to L.A. Take Down. But because of heat and other things, I finally, it looks like it came to fruition in, in a sort of a, uh, in this series. But it didn't last only 13 episodes. Well, I mean, you, you're, you're always the one that's trying to tell me, uh, I feel behind watching Michael Mann's, uh, I, I've watched Luck, I've watched a little bit of Tokyo Vice, but... I'm largely behind on most of his TV stuff, and yeah. my Miami Vice I remember as a child. Yeah, ironically, I just today just bought a uh, one of my buddies a, a complete Blu-ray box set of Miami Vice, it's and, also, I, and I'm kind of excited 
about it because I want to dive in. I want to go back and go through the. I don't know if I've seen every single episode, but at the time it was. He's kind of only involved with the first three seasons, though, right? True, true. But I, it's, I, it's, no, it's a lot of uh, a lot of fun there. Yeah. Um. All right. Getting back again to the book. Sorry. We <laughs> keep. We, I mean, we knew this is this is the reason we're doing this because it's an expansive universe. This conversation would be expansive. Early on in the book, I remember the, the, one of my favorite thing. First off, you, uh, Chris, the Val Kilmer character, is one of the major major characters in this. He becomes the focus because he's really the only major survivor of the movie. Yeah, sure, sure. So sure. that's why it makes sense that we're going to focus in on him. But my uh, Michael and his co-writer do the interesting thing. We, we, we jump back and forth in time, uh, and it's all divided up in, into segments. And we get to go back to Chicago. We see a young, very young Chris. Well, I was young, good. I was going to you mention the LA stuff because one of the first things in the book is it, it gives you a little bit of a sequel of what happens right immediately after the events of the movie. Yeah, it, it must be kind of fun. Like it's kind of like the uh, what was the star the Star Wars the Rogue <laughs> movie which ends Rogue One. Rogue One, which ends with Darth Vader sh- the very beginning of the Star Wars. It begins with with a new or ends where New Hope begins. Yeah, it's so exciting. I almost felt that kind of vibe when I picked the book up. And I started reading it. It just picks up right when he lives, you know. Well, the, the beginning, I was going to say, the chronology is weird because there's, there's the beautiful scene at the end of the movie with his last scene with uh, Ashley Judd playing Charlene. And the chronology, he's out of it at the beginning of the book. He's really out of it. I mean, you're talking about what are you talking about? Chris. And, and it's because of his wound. You're talking about it literally. They write it. it in a way where I don't, like, do, yeah, because of his wound. He well, he's, yeah, he's really, uh, in fact, I've, it's, uh, yeah. There's a little tweaking there, I think. So okay, okay, there was yeah. a little tweaking. Maybe seems like because he he, dri- he actually driving the car to you know where right. she's at. Right. Whereas you know yeah, you get that, that's exactly why I was thinking that yeah, because you, he seems way more capacity. But you gotta have that great book. scene though where uh, uh, she does the wave off. Uh, the, they just, in the book they recount that and they call there was this great phrase they use like a roulette wave, blackjack, blackjack wave, blackjack so wave. Yeah. It's oh, it's so, so well in the movie. I mean, there's like three or. four. I always said, I go back to that. I've talked about this in several podcasts. I think what makes a great movie, a great masterpiece are those small little scenes that are sprinkled throughout it. That it's not the, it's not the big fight scene or not the big gun battle or the robbery in downtown LA. It's although it is a little, well, yeah, but, but you got to have that to make it the big masterpiece. Epic well, it's it always, is. it's getting it, it, so much directing is getting the details. Right. Yeah. And just that little wave off that Ashley did was just so, so, such a sublime moment. In- I think on the commentary, he even says like he was so surprised by her acting that face and that scene. He's talking about her face, I think, but like, the, like you said, that hand motion yeah. is a very iconic hand motion. And then when she sits back down, and uh, and there's and, there, and that and, and he has several of those small moments that you remember. And, the, and I think one of the good things about the book is there's there's those as much as Meg Gardner is. I I have not read much of her, anything of hers, so I won't. All right, going back into the book. Uh, the first confrontation, you find out the aftermath of Edie, played by Amy, Amy Brenneman, uh, what happens to her afterwards. That's Yeah, that's cool. One of my favorite, There's a, I feel like Michael Mann was either aware of this. They they go to her apartment, and her apartment is featured in the documentary Los Angeles Plays Itself. <laughs> and the, there's a joke in there where they show the scene where uh, De Niro and Brenneman are over looking look over L.A., I think it's above Sunset Plaza. And they make a crack about, oh yeah, because all book clerks can afford uh, an apartment over Sunset Plaza. It's, you know, it's so funny that that's brought, yeah, that's mentioned, that's pointed out because when, when you're watching, he, and they're sitting on the balcony talking. At first, I think they're back at De Niro's place, 
Because I'm thinking, there's no way she can have a place like this, and it is her place. Yeah. So they they, they they say that she she's a very specialized book clerk. <laughs> the uh, the store that Neil went to is uh, has to get specialized books, so she is paid above grade. Um, then the end of that scene was one of those first like kicks where Amy Brenneman seems like, like. What were your feelings in the in the movie about her character at the end? Well, see, that's. Even as much as I love Heat, there's a couple of things I, I I keep on struggling with. They're, they're not as I don't struggle with them as much. As, and the more I watch it, the more I listen to the commentary, the more sure. I think about it. They're get, they're smoothing out better. But I never was convinced that Edie, uh, the way she Brennan plays Edie, that she would all of a sudden run off with a criminal like that. She seems really kind of dazed in the book. Kind of attributes yes. to that too. But you know, in L.A. Takedown, she doesn't go with them. Um, yeah, so um, there's this moment where she's just days talking to Hannah, and Hannah's doing his whole like uh, he's really sharp, you know. He's 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 getting all the details out of her, and the end of it was one of those first signs of like, oh, this is gonna be good. Where Hannah tells her, "I killed Neil," like the description there is like, this is gonna be good. She, she her tone changes completely in that, but then all right, did you have anything else you want to talk about with the LA stuff? No, but it's just it's just it was nice to do the little recap uh uh to get you going uh, yeah well, uh, and, and even just like you said just a little bit of like what was the immediate stuff that like happened right right Well, then we get to Vegas, and I thought the Charlene backstory was one of those ones where I think he had a I I don't know how evident it is. Well, you kind of jumped over because that's them. That they've already been in Chicago when they're driving back oh, to LA. I thought I thought they they go to Vegas. I right don't away. think they go to Vegas right away. I no, there's a, there's a beginning of the Vegas, and then they go to Chicago. Uh, well, I think I because the the Vegas stuff is divided into two because because he 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 goes to Vegas after to meet her. He meets her. We get yes. the whole story. Yeah, yeah the that's meet. back in, during the Chicago early Chicago day. Yeah, okay. All right, so the Vegas uh, thing's part of the Chicago thing. It's yeah. the very beginning. All right, we're on the same page. Okay. For a book podcast, we're on the same page. Ah. Uh, no, I just thought that that I I guess I was there some like uh, do you do you think Charlene as played by Ashley Judd is a former uh, escort in the movie? Cuz in the book is just like, "Oh, this fits perfectly." And Michael Mann loves to talk about how like he knows all his characters in her lives. But it, it, I, to be, be honest with you, I haven't really thought that through. Uh, when I did watch it recently, I did kind of try to put that backstory into Ashley Judd's character. I'm not sure if it if it's playing 100 percent with me yet. Or, okay, but but it, she, it's a great it's a great expansive piece of writing. I, I Charlene in the book is kind of a uh, she's kind of a spitfire of a character, and, uh, and, well, and, and more so than Ashley is in some I ways. I, I don't think it's that different i, I mean yeah. she, she's a protective mother that's that's tired of her criminal husband yeah. that she loves and they have a very fierce very, very passionate which is how it's written <laughs> it's interesting that uh the both the guys that ashley and uh dina verna verona uh they uh they both kind of have dweeby guys they sleep with <laughs> that's and 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 we compared it to nero and pacino uh, Hank Azaria is not the most, you know. That seems like a like a casting com- like a commentary on like the our main stars have got to be very relentless. Well, and, and, they, they were also, and they're being duped by these 
Well, the, the both women were also just doing this in spite of they were despite. I think yeah, despite is a key, like, and key part. And I guess you don't have to be that picky when you're just going to do this to get back at your husband. Uh, okay, well now we can get fully into Chicago, the the which is which. It's really more Hannah, uh, young Hannah, and uh, Neil's a big part of it. Yeah, not as big as I. Well, at least this is how I perceive it. Okay, okay. Maybe your perception is different. At least at the beginning. But in the Chicago sequence, it's what sixty? Is it the sixty-eight or is it what is it? No, it's eighty-eight. Eighty-eight, Chicago. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, because because. Well, when does he take place? The movie. Ninety-four. Okay. I think it takes place when it comes out, 94, 95. Cause, okay. Well, because we're going to get into this, but both uh, Hannah and Macaulay were Vietnam vets. Right. But I liked how uh, you really get the concentration. I think you get the concentration of building it because you're going to get a lot of McNeil, uh, uh, Neil in the Mexican sequence. The Mexican sure. Sequence. So it, I think it bounces out. There, and, there, there, there's no tension with Macaulay that like, you don't really get a sense that Hannah and him meet in heat. So you don't really get a, you don't get a sense that it's going to be cute that they even though they're in the same city that they, there's also just like, if you, when you watch the movie, did you ever get any sense that, uh, uh, that Hannah w- has any Chicago in him? Besides the fact yeah. that his creator is from Chicago. Yeah, true. Uh, I never thought about that. And he's based but, on a Chicago cop, but or hit, maybe I kind of like the fact that I, it, to me, it looked like man and his co-writer were giving you, uh, the a little bit of the early evolution of the Hannah we see in the movie, uh, some of the thing, yeah, uh, mannerisms, yeah, no, and, and the way he uh, he there's a sequence with a girl, a young girl victim in a hospital bed that plays out very interesting, and you see that happen in the movie with the uh, the prostitute that's killed in the parking lot, the, the mom mother that of shows the prostitute, up, uh, and the uh, and then uh, his daughter, stepdaughter, uh, how the relationship yeah. with stepdaughter. So there's this whole the, thing. The, 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 the this, sensitive underbelly. Yeah, the, the sensitive the, that you don't. The, the guy that has the nightmares where he sees all of all the vict- the people he's investigated, right. their victims. Which is a different, and of course, the man will quickly point out to you, if you listen to the commentaries he did for the heat and stuff, you know, the difference between, there there are similarities between Hannah and, and, and Neil, but there's also these, the, it separates them from being, uh, Neil still is a psychopath. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. well, you mentioned the word psychopath. We, we should get into this. So the, 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 the biggest notable thing about the book is its villain, Otis Wardell. And he is an out-and-out psychopath. He is, I think he's Wangro. He's char- Wangro to me. The Wangro character from Heat yeah. expanded and given more intelligence and, uh, abil- <laughs> and agency. It's interesting. I, I just got done re- re-watching all five Alien films. Not the ones with the Predators, but just the major five. Okay. And Wait, wait. Isn't there six? There's... Prometheus. Prometheus. Uh, alien six? Covenant, Alien, <laughs> Aliens, uh, Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection. Okay, stand correct to six major Sure, sure. So, sorry, I wasn't, and, cr- I wasn't and, trying and to correct you. Count, uh, you make it seven, eight if you want to count the... If you want to count the Predator movies, was, yeah, sure, yeah. Sorry, sorry. But uh, <laughs> there's there's seems that that's one thing about... Uh, well, it's just like Gene Austin books or the... The Bud Butterker, uh, Randolph Scott movies, or you know, all these things—you have these similarities that echo each other, and 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 you get to play with them, uh, and uh, several times. And I think the Rango, uh, how he is portrayed in Heat, uh, kind of like the author and autorist. Yeah, the thing, rhymes, a variation of a theme. You get now, he, so he puts makes him Otis in Heat because he is just—you just got. Well, what, he's almost. He's almost like a. I, I can't think of the, I can't think of the right word. He's it's oh, he's almost well, supernatural. This he's is almost, you, you said that before. Yeah. I, I, I 
maybe see that i don't know well what i find fascinating is like the one psychopath that he's done really well is the tooth fairy dollar hide in manhunter right right there's a clear evolution of that where as that psychopath is operatic and he wants to sympathize with and you know kind of show the the damage in her life well you know actually you could go back he he could portray he's into some of the greatest evil things that make you cringe in the theater uh when when uh when we find out that James Kahn is now going to have to answer to Robert Protsky, mm-hmm. Robert Protsky just becomes evil incarnate when he's bending over and looking at Kahn, talking to him about, you know, now you're mine. You have, and then and the keep, you're playing with actual evil with a capital E. Well, I'd argue there's a little bit of a problem with the keep there. Formula. The, fa- it, the fairy tale doesn't. Isn't right, but the it, it actually, it, the evil is actually formed into a body yeah. right in front of your eyes. Uh, and and then Manhunter, you, you got uh, Hannibal, uh, and and how and the Tooth Fairy, yeah, Tooth Fairy, and how Graham has to. But the Tooth, actually, there's the, interesting about that. Actually, very, you're right about that. Hannibal is kind of like pure evil in there too. Yeah, because in Tooth Fairy, there's that one sequence where you think, oh, he might. That was he, what. That's what I'm pointing. He out. might. Yeah. He might become good. Uh, or, 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 or the stop, lo- you know, the love of another Nancy, woman yeah. or some just anybody. Yeah, might. and you almost and then you just and then you and then you lose it and you go, oh. It's gone. Yeah. But uh, Hannah, uh, Brian Cox is just, I just love, you know, I can't, I, I, I prefer him. O- I, I, people kill me for this, but I prefer him over Anthony you're Hopkins. Not, you're, you keep saying like this is puts you on an isolated. Uh, it does there's a like, lot of people. You think so? I think a lot of people love it. I like, just came across a person the other day who loves all the men, uh, uh, Hannibal Lecter films and seen Red Dragon. I said, well, this is, and I told her about Manhunter and Brian Cox. She goes, oh, gosh, really? I had no idea. I need to see that. Oh, so, I, I think the. I keep on coming across a lot of people like that. Well, I think the Red Dragon TV show also took that out the window because there's an argument that the, that is a really amazing take on all the Thomas Harris universe, too. <laughs> I do want to go back to Macaulay, though, uh, real quickly. The, I want to talk to you about this. In Tarantino's uh, Cinema Speculation book, he has this long, not that long, he's talking about the. Uh, um, the Parker novels. The, oh yeah, the Parker novels. Yeah, and he thinks Macaulay is the great, greatest cinematic example of the Parker because he says the Parker, Very true. the Parker. Ah, I, mean, I, I think so. I mean, well, just the fact that well, I say this and I haven't read the Parker novels outside of uh, the, uh, the 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 great adaptations. Um, well, you've seen the Point Blank. Oh, yeah. I've seen the movies, and the point in the book he's making is the movies are dead, but the, uh, the Darwin the, Cook, uh, the Darwin. Novels. Thank you, the Darwin Cook Hunter adaptations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that, yeah, that, but, but the fact that they're so self-contained, self-sustained, self, uh, they could just come and go and, 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 and Tarantino uh, really hones down on the like hardness to be able to leave your life in 20, in uh, 20 seconds flat. Right. Yeah. That's really, I mean, that's what I, I, I remember, uh, I mean, De Niro repeats the mantra that James Conn gives us in Thief. And Parker's like that, and even like I think some of this. You now we bump this this pop over to Paul Schrader and the man, God's Lonely Man. You know, well, and in Man in particular, like I think it's been pointed out that uh, time is luck or time is destiny or something like that. That line has appeared in almost every single one of his movies, right. and I think a form of well, I love that. In. You know, I, I I hate that we get off E too because that's the whole point of this podcast. But I mean, another great scene, another Michael Mann has such great cinematic scenes in history. A cinematic history is uh, 
that piece of paper with the montage where James Conn shows uh, yeah. Tuesday Weld, this is my life here. The early vision board. Yeah. He has Not a- to diminish it because James Con- I we need to, I should mention the that commentary, listen to that commentary on Thieves the Criterion thing. It is such a charm. Because one of the things is James Conn takes Michael Mann to task and bullshits him because they're friends. <laughs> the commentary is recorded while either he's about to film Heat or he's is filming Heat. But James Conn also says that scene's the greatest scene he's ever been in. Oh, well, I, 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 it just resonates into my, my life all the time. It's just amazing how that scene is just what just. Ted, really... you can get a vision board if you want one. Yeah, <laughs> well, my whole house is a vision board. Yeah, okay. It's... <laughs> well, the interior of Tarantino's it. observation was, I think, I, I feel like it's your our private conversations how you felt about the end of the movie, your first viewing, especially. That that sequence, the the thing I said was my favorite shot in all, one of my favorite shots in all right movies. Off bat, right off the bat, with the with the exposure when they're going through the tunnel, and Neil. Oh, well, that scene, yeah. That. Neil decides that he could he can escape and he'll be fine, or he can go for revenge and break his code. And I I think there's so much in the execution of that, especially. And he always watch- sort of broke. He always sort of broke his code by taking Edie along. That, well, that's, that's, the first where, that's where I think he really breaks. No, his he code. really, he no, breaks, he really the code breaks there. his code there. And then, when and he, I think that's the real choice that he makes that breaks his code. That, that, that is the real right. And so, the, the him having to go back and kill somebody who's who's wronged him. We're going to get into this also later in the book as we talk about uh, Neil's chapters in Mexico, where he has to go after Wingro, but there's he doesn't oh, Otis. He doesn't go after no. He has to go over Wingro in Heat Two or Heat the original, but in Heat Two, he doesn't go after Otis after a certain thing that happens. That's that seems a little inconsistent to me, and, and there's a little inconsistent or inconsistent. Consistent. No, he he does. I thought he's in character. This is what makes him be, uh, really uh, finalize the code in his heart. Is in the book, he's not going to connect to the the daughter the that of the woman that he loves. Mm-hmm. He he has no more communication with her, none, and he doesn't go after Otis. Yeah, his, his, so he I, I mean he. he, he his chapter is really the beginning of that speech. Of right. Like the, the and co- that's really uh, solidifies that. And he's been living that way until he breaks it with Edie in the movie. So going after Wingro is breaking his code. Two, 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 twice. Twice over. Twice over, yeah. Because he, he wasn't going to do that. He, okay, he, uh, And he probably possibly could get away with Edie. But that scene you love is an accident. But now, but man used it to show his change of mind and says, I'm going after him. Yeah, that's where the... Uh, that's where he has that when the light flashes over. I mean, but but Tarantino's point was that that's the mo- point where the movie like he knows what's going to happen at the end, where it's going to end up too. Yeah, well, so it was and, and Quentin did like that because he knew how it was going to end. Is that what, what I mean, the movie be? was electric to him until that point? Well, I just I just to my mind we I, I we have been so engaged with Hannah and Macaulay and and their and their epic struggle to have it come down to this little. Ch- gunfight in an airport field i remember thinking uh, uh, he I, said if you see me coming around the corner right but i wanted something i don't know what i, I don't know what you could do to uh how keep it operatic keep it that big uh, of an ending uh but as I, I i've come to grips with it i mean i'm over and over and of course i love when the moby music starts of course that helps it helps it out a lot the and, moby cues is one of, uh, is a great but it's just uh, yeah at first, I'm thinking, "Oh man, I wanted something bigger for the." Uh, but I mean, it comes down. I mean, you know, Henry Fonda and Charles Bronson once upon the West. It just comes down to them 
to a gunfight. <laughs> one shot. Yeah. One shot. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like in a, in that sequence is much more emotional and repeat viewing. And I it think. is kind of you know, man loved having that airfield and the lights. Yeah, of the airplanes uh, coming and going. Yeah, so you thought that was really uh, a visual. Not, and then you start maybe putting a subtext to it. You know, he could have been on that plane leaving. He could, you know, he's right underneath his escape, and he's not escaping. Hmm. You know, the, so you can play with that. Let's finish up Chicago real quick. Uh, for starters, one of the funny things I love about Hannah being a Chicago cop is this is one of those tiny things that, for me, as like, I love Heat. One of the things that, like, over the years, especially from the cast of Miami Vice, I think, um, Drew McWaney pointed this out. Michael Mann, by his casting, is a very big fan of The Wire, which we've also done an episode on. And one of the things I love about The Wire is it's it, it cops and robbers, but with a lot of bureaucracy. And so one of the issues for the cops is their budgets. That's a big issue. And Hannah, throughout all all this, you're just like, he's giving resources after resource. Every time he comes up to another person, he's like, I want you to look into every phone book and every resident in that blocks and find out everything they did that for the last three days. And you're like, he has an endless amount of resources that maybe not, just for a, like a thief would not, a, a mayor would not give that. Um, and then there's, but the weird thing I think that like, is just tiny not aged heat well, especially post the wire and especially in the uh, um, uh, defund the police era is man likes cops in two of the most arguably corrupt police departments in the country. Chicago has notorious since LAPD has its rampart scandal. I mean, New York cop is probably the only one. And then to be fair, three biggest cities in the country. So they're going to have a historic issues at some point or another in their police force. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting you point that out. I I really don't bother with that. I just because I just it's nice to because we've had so much movies about corruption. Well, I'm not saying I'm know? not I'm not saying this is a defund the police issue. I'm just saying it's more like it's sometimes hard to root for the existential cop when uh, see, when, I, when a lot of narratives sometimes are about the there's a lot of cop corruption stuff. Right. So. Well, you know, or it, even even going to the wire. There's a lot of good cops and a lot of like that you could get behind, but there's a lot of bigger issues than just getting the bad guy. Well, if you say so. <laughs> You're punting on that one. Back to the Edie's apartment. Uh, Hannah, again, I think this is another dig. Han- uh, Hannah's first uh, non-cop scene, or I think it's even his first scene, He's overlooking Lakeshore Drive. He has like this really big condo and it turns out it's his girlfriend's apartment. But still, Hannah just really has some scenic views. He has access to some really expensive scenic views. Oh, no. Hannah, Hannah, uh, Macaulay's got the scenic view. Hannah, Hannah's... Uh, no, Hannah. It's Hannah and his girlfriend. Right. Anna, but not, not in LA. I don't know what's where they're living, what neighborhood. Oh, right. Sure, sure. Yeah. But all, the, all these guys have... Yeah. I mean, well, I, that's, that's part of, you know... He, that's Hollywood. Hannah's got a postmodernist <laughs> bullshit house at some yeah. point. Uh, You're not taking my TV. And then there's a scene where Hannah openly does cocaine. Right. Well, and we, we now know uh, they we, they took years to talk about this. Yeah. Well, we uh, it, yeah before we revealed the fact that when you watch Heat, there's a couple of scenes that you just can't avoid where you're at. you're either going. Well, that's crazy, or you laugh. You're. Uh, you want a justification for the like Michael Mann talks about. He you give Pacino the one go wild take, yeah. and you know, give me what you got. Give me what you got. Uh, you know. He's got a 
big ass. There's the big. This is the big. Yeah. I, I feel like after the fact, this is where they. The, he says they shot a cocaine thing for. They him. did. Yeah, they, they did. He, but they, he says that and they didn't put it in. But the fact is, we now know that Hannah, uh, yes, is a little bit uh, on the take with some drugs, and it explains now when you look at it, you go, okay, that he, explains it. He uh, and plus he's on. I mean, when does the dang guy sleep? You know, that's part of the problem with the husband and wife thing the relationship going on too right so he's just got to go 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 it keeps him sharp it keeps him you know on the on the mark um uh, and uh so we get uh yeah so they we can put that to the side we can just finally just reveal that in, in the book sure That's and how. i mean it, it's such a it, the book has to have so many details that this is not he didn't want it weighed down as 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 hannah's big thing that he's a coke addicted detective but he has to have that that sharpness uh, West Studi's character Casals is—he's a cop in Chicago with them. Yeah, he. I, H- well, Hannah took some. It took, had to have enough of a budget to take people with them. Apparently. Well, I think I think Hannah. I, we get the feeling. I mean, I don't know about you, but Hannah's track record in Chicago gets him to LA, and he gets a little bit of some uh, uh, perks with that. This this is why I bring up the cops, robbers, the the budget stuff. Like it's just like is, is this a police like like. And the FBI, like, is this how they really work? Is this a romanticized version of it? Well, I didn't do homework on police, <laughs> FBI procedures, and, and cops, and uh, how they uh, they get to have a you know work a team up and then get but to keep the team. You and, do exist in a culture where cops and robber stories are very, very, very also, often told. This is also Hollywood. That's entertainment. Da, da, da. You don't you don't like a lot of reality in your stories, okay? <laughs> Um, Hannah is. And you don't trust man, and you don't trust man that man would would not do. I mean, would. Uh, he's, 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 this uh, gets back to the research thing, where yeah. it's just like he he touts his research really well. I he you know I, I I'm in a basement in Indiana, so I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Exactly. But he okay, all right. You, you, all right, let's go, with God. Uh, I think it just. I think I think I don't know why that's. Uh, 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 why that's why that's. Throws you, trips you up a little bit. Seems like uh, I, I just. It, I don't know, Ted. I read nonfiction that's beyond uh, pop culture stuff sometimes here and there. Okay, well there you go. Hannah is from. They they talk about his backstory. He is from Northeast St. Louis, Granite City. He went to SIU, the Edwardsville chapter, but he went to a college that's just what an hour and a half from me. Well, his college is not an hour and a half from me, but Southern Illinois is all, uh, the main campus is only an hour and a half from here. And him and as I mentioned earlier. Both him and Neil went to Vietnam. Neil was uh, offered uh, a ranger position. He turned it down. But this is where he learned the guerrilla fighting techniques that he had to use in downtown L.A. at that one point. Right. There's a whole movie. Uh, gosh, uh, movie fans out there were chastised. We were not knowing this off the hand. It's, it's a cool little English film. I think um, Jack Hawkins is in it. But it's about these guys are ex-military guys, and they're hurting for money. And they just say, okay, let's get together and rob a, they use our military skills to rob a bank. I think there's been a few movies where yeah, probably the military that, you know, So that's, uh, that's a really interesting right. little trope they use all the time. Uh, now we can move on to Paraguay with Chris. Paraguay, 9596, Chris. So they're basically, uh, what's interesting, they, they both use, um, out of the movie, we get to see the John Voight character and the Ted Noonan character uh, help Chris. Uh, get out of the country. Well, this um, this is also where it gets. This is you feel like I'm seeing multiple Michael Manns of different eras, multiple Michael Mann movies in one one story, and 
Well, just little things like they like they, they, there's. Did you feel like some of the technology they use? I think it's mainly in the later Paraguay section, or when they start to branch out. Whereas, like this, this is a little too modern for this era. Some of the technology they're talking about. Well, yeah, the yeah. electronic warfare, I guess. Right. So I was going to say basically, we uh, when I mentioned the some of the characters that help Chris get out to Paraguay, uh, man takes full advantage of all the characters that are still living from the first film. You can put them in the book and utilize them. Nate in particular. Yeah. And Chris gets down to Paraguay. I felt uh, with the Paraguay sequence, at first I was like, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy this. And then as as it got deeper and deeper into it, uh, I got into it, uh, but it was more like a dreamscape to me. It was a weird, I think it plays into the futuristic aspect of it. That I did, I felt like I was I was uh, untethered in some little dreamscape of technology and families and crime that are you, you know to be the you know around the corner any, any moment you could get killed or well, something could happen. And Chris is just on he is on his tiptoes, getting through this minefield of trying to survive. But as he gets uh, he gets more secure in it with the family, this one particular family crime family. Well, he, he it's a, he, we see the Chris we see an evolution in Chris and and we see also the the how you can you, you can go back to the movie and watch uh Val Kilmer and see oh you can apply that to the the book there's a thing in the movie where he's a young kid who like in the book explains it in a really interesting way where he's really focused when he's with Neil and Neil's his brother they went to prison together they were in a, I think they were in Folsom together, actually. And but when he's not with Neil, he's a got a bad gambling problem. And you see Chris grow up. The other thing I was gonna say, you mentioned the family. This also is feels like a section where there's a little bit of Miami Vice, the movie, and Black Hat in here. In that Chris falls in love with this Asian young Asian woman. It's a Taiwanese woman named Anna in this one, who is a daughter or really high up in the criminal enterprise. Exactly. You pinpointed this right. He again. He's it's uh again the variation of the themes uh, of things he loves to play with. So why not throw in some black hat? Why not so throw in Mommy Vice, the movie Mommy Vice. Yeah, we'll the movie. Keep that in mind. Uh, the whole relationship with Pharaoh uh, and Gong Li is so much uh, in the in the in the in the stylistics of the uh, book with his. Uh, I forgot what the girl's name, Patty or. I can't, Kathy, I can't remember what her name is. In, in the Black book. Hat? In the book. It's Anna. 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 Anna, Anna Lou. Anna Lou. And she is, uh, yeah, she's a piece of work. She's really fun to, I, I really got a kick out of her. I mean, it's a typical too. Uh, she's like Cambridge uh, educated. <laughs> she's reading uh, a lot of uh, like U.S. News and World Report yeah, or something like that. So fun. I mean, you. It's she's almost too, almost too true to be true because she's, uh, you, you you really built her up in the book, and it's a typical. Uh, and you see this scenario before, where you got a, a big family of traditional, old school crime family. Father has to have the son be the heir, the successor to the family, and he's a he's just a weakling, no good. Uh, he's gonna you know he's gonna screw it up, and the, it's the daughter, it's the daughter, the sister that is the smart one, the cool one. And that's and Chris obviously uh, sinks in right with her, and then you got the. Uh, the the guy in charge of uh, security and and the bodyguard bodyguard mm-hmm. who's the old school he's just you know he's like a Macaulay type uh, s- sort of 
but he has to win, win his respect. So that's also kind of fun to watch, isn't it? And these are things to read. We see to read, and we've seen this before. But it's all it's all done in a you know in another new variation. Well, I want to talk real briefly with the the honest stuff about Michael Mann. Like we talked about this, as I think in the Keep episode a lot, and I don't know if it's a like in, in the Keep episode. I think I at least thought it was like a very dude centric idea of existentialist romance stuff. But I just find Mann is like such a great romantic in his stuff, and and so I was I was trying to. Well, gosh, I mean. What's one of the most romantic scenes of all time? Again, I keep on seeing all these great scenes, and man's responsible for them. That's Mohicans. That sequence where Madeline uh, uh, Stowe and uh, Daniel Lee Lewis come in and embrace each other across on the on the fortress. Well, how romantic can you get? You know, and then there's the waterfall sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I will find you no matter what. I will. You know. Well, I was just the, stay my, alive. <laughs> my point is, Michael Mann's been married since 1974 to the same woman. Well, there you go. It's, it's, I, I mean, and he's got what three, four daughters. He's got uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, one of his daughters is uh, got into film too. Yeah, uh, Killing Texas Field or something. That, um, they were all working on Heat, I think. When he, on the commentary, I think he mentioned so. Really, I think they were all helping him out. I didn't. I didn't hear that. Um, well, the the, the uh, I do want to read also. It's I don't know if it's in this. Oh no no, we're, this is in the Mexico section. Uh, the other thing that keeps coming up. At going all the way back to straight time is Michael Mann's existential love of the idea of prison, whether it's a prison on your everyday life or, or just literally it's, it's Jericho mile, yeah. Jericho mile talked about in thief. Uh, keep is kind of a prison. It's a, yeah. A prison. A he's, he's keeping evil in prison. And yeah. this, and this maybe goes away against my theory, but there is a prison and keep, uh, obviously Manhunter, they go to prison. Last Mohican, there's, is there like a, well, maybe the the fortress. I, I mean, there was you probably if you stop and think about it, you could probably find he, something. He doesn't have a prison, but the specter of prison is over it. Uh, Insider and Ali have like the threat of going to prison. Collateral. Does some? Does he say at some point I'm not going back what? to? No one was in prison. He, was, he Vincent was in the system. He was in the child care system at some yeah. point. So that's kind of a. The, the, well, no, but the taxi driver, uh, Jimmy. Um, he wasn't. He didn't. Was, 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 was he an ex-convict? No. Oh no no. What's he? What was his background? Uh, his mom is sick, oh. and he's been a taxi driver for way longer than he said because he's trying to start a company. Oh, okay. Then Miami Vice prison. There's so much prison on, in in there. And Black Hat, uh, Chris Hemsworth gets out of prison. Right. It's just prison. So I want to read this thing from page two forty one. We we're all footprints on a on a beach. The tide comes through, and you were never there. A guy named Albert Camus wrote that. She tilts her head. What kind of name is that? French, Neil says. Eliza looks at him, her eyes shining in the dark. I'm here now. Exactly. That's the point. We're here now. No big reason we exist. No purpose. No heaven or hell waiting on how we pray. The only real question is, why keep on living? Is life worth it? Why not just kill yourself? The only judgment is how we use the now. I don't want to put an end to it. I don't want to put an end to it. If this is what we have, better live it. Yeah, all we have is this moment. We live it conscious of what it means nothing but completely live it that's what it is and then where you read this she asks fulsome what's my life why do the time why am i doing what's any of this mean hit the library and said where's the philosophy about why we're here about time what's my life mean dude with the book card turns me on to k moo 
that's the Michael Mann's obsession with prison. That's the, this book has those little just like revelations of like whether he's just like he because it's there's so much denseness in here and in, in a good way that uh, with a propulsive narrative, and then suddenly he can just be like, I can tell you straight up, this is where this comes from, and even in a form of it's repeated itself throughout the movies. So now that you've mentioned that he's that's Macaulay in Mexico, so after the uh, we so we have the whole Paraguay sequence, and Chris learning the ropes of uh, the, he he gets inducted to a family and helps him out with this uh, competition with other families and crime crime groups uh, on this new technology. Then we go now we jump over back to Macaulay out of the, post Chicago. He's left Chicago, uh, and. Uh, Finds out, uh, hey, there's this money we could take down, McCartell. Uh, where's this? Well, it's not, that's not Hannah. That's uh, Wardell. Mac- Ward- Macaulay. Okay, yeah. But I'm saying, like, oh, I thought you said Hannah was the, sorry. Well, if I, 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 I mean, Macaulay. Uh, no, Hannah's, uh, we leave Hannah for a while. Yeah. And we now we're. Uh, the, the Mexico section is, I think, the heart of the book. Yeah, I, I well, that's what I, I told you. Uh, yeah, so we, we get, what well, and, and there's nothing I love than them, uh, explaining how they're going to do it and then executing how they're going to do it. Even in book form. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, so we go through the whole sequence of the, how they're going to do this. And I, you know, living in, in uh, uh, here in America, 2023 and, and working at a TV station with news in front of me all the time, you know, it's cartel scare the crap out of me. Well, uh, the, the, and, and so I'm thinking even back, you know, even then I'm thinking, man, don't mess with cartel money. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, that, well, I, I for, for starters, okay. So much of the prose in this book, especially in some of the tenser section, uh, tenser parts of this section, is reads like uh, this really good hybrid of screenwriter and novelist because big into the like very short one sentence paragraph or beat to create tension and things like that. Michael Mann's scripts are very dense but very fun reading. They read like a normal script, but the real the real appeal I think of this book originally I was I got this wrong, but I thought. When these books were first announced, I want to say it was like 2016 when he first made the deal. Man made a three book deal and he wanted to do a book about Tony Accardo and Sam Giacana. And that was going to be written by Don Winslow. And I thought Don Winslow was originally going to write Heat. I don't know. I think I just misread that before Meg Gardner came aboard. But I've, I feel like I've mentioned this on a few episodes before, but Don Winslow's books are just, they're, 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 they're so propulsive they're they're so plot denseness. What's it? What's his, what's he mainly known for? Well, he's known for the border trilogy. He's known for the cartel, and that was just that's where I also thought this section might have been a Don Winslow inspired thing. Don Winslow's also uh, blurbed on the back of the book, uh, Heat Two book. There's a three picture deal, and I think the third book's going to be. Um, we'll get to this when we get to the end of the book, but I'm pretty sure that's Heat Three. Hmm. Yeah, Mick Gardner. Again, I have never, you know. I've never read any of her books. Uh, she's she's she was I'm surprised. A former... you're, usually, you're usually on the uh, you're usually on top of uh, the, the latest great writers. Well, she's she's a she's a former lawyer who I think she spent time in London, but she she was in Austin at the same time as me. And what's crazy is she was a former Jeopardy winner. <laughs> and so, like our episode we did with the Keep, we did with uh, my friend Lonnie Gonzalez, who is also a former Jeopardy winner. 
And we used to I, we used to go to trivia nights together with other Jeopardy winners because Austin had this weird population of Jeopardy winners, and so I didn't know if we, I'd ever overlap with Meg Gardner. I don't think I did. Oh, that's crazy too because I, my station airs Jeopardy, so I probably saw both of them without even knowing the, what the, the connection would ever be on that. I get, I real briefly before we get back in the Mexico session, like you know when I you part of the reason I gave you such uh, crap about not reading as fast is when we did the once upon a time in Hollywood novelization, you read it as fast as ever. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, yeah, but bo- both of them are great. These are great filmmakers who are also happen to be great writers. Who's uh, there. A lot of their screenplay style comes out in these books, but there's a difference. That's a novelization of us. <laughs> of a story, you know, that's pretty different from, no, the story but, no, no, you know. but, but I'm saying it's, it's, a, it's really a done deal. This is, you know, he too is like, okay, what's going to happen? You know, it's a what if story. Uh, it's, until but it gets, as Alan Moore famously said in Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, but aren't they all? You know about, no, DC used to call their, uh, like a Superman had a uh, a boy, which she does now in the canon, I think. Yeah. But it was, you know, when they do the, uh, or if Jimmy Olsen was Superman or blah, 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 they would call them imaginary stories. And Alan Moore goes, aren't they all imaginary stories? I love so, how we do this in Alan Moore voice. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just something about uh, – uh, I thought you were talking about the, the speculation book because I read that even faster because uh, that's nonfiction. Yeah, I, I, we were just talking about this today off air. We, I think all of us read it too fast. We're over <laughs> to reread it. Right. But uh, but uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is it, it, revisiting the movie but with different aspects for the foreground and the stuff in the movie in the background almost. Mm. So Okay, I mean, it, it was – I, I, I just I, – I, I get that. But they're like, well, it's a cold. It's 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 a, it's a cold writer. Will it be turned into a movie? It's prose, uh, pure prose. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess all these are not disqualified. I don't know. I, I don't know what. I don't, why, I don't mean to give you shit about. This. I don't know it's why just... the delay, but I mean, you know, I did it. I got through it. I love it. We're talking about it now, so okay. Uh, and and I may uh, actually, I will reread portions at least, if not the whole book again, because the Bacali sequence it, like in mo- Mexico. I, I, I was, I was like I'm telling you, I was in uh, Kansas City there in a barbecue restaurant, uh, sitting at a table reading the sequence where him, uh, the girl, uh, Otis is attacking him. And Eliza's attacking, the girl, yeah. And and the, and the death sequence of uh, the woman and uh, Bill Cully's girlfriend. We, we, I, as we warned in the beginning, we were spoiling this. Because yeah, this the sequence, what's beautiful about this, this is the origin of the not walking out speech. It's just, it's, I mean, it's a little telegraphed. You, you know it's going to happen a little. Yeah. You don't know how it's going to happen. So that's one of the tense things about it. But yeah, so he gets caught up, and they they, they, they get the money. But Otis, I don't even read the book, no. But he, Otis gets, gets oh no, Otis is on the trail. Uh, there's a there's a reason he's on Macaulay's trail because of Chicago. Uh, the all one of one of the, the one of the people they worked with, yeah. kind of one of the uh, uh, civilian kind of people that they worked with, uh, kind of gives them away. And ironically, he gets killed really violently. Ironically, Otis is on the run because of Hannah. And he's on the run, and he goes, he picks up, he picks up Macaulay's trail for uh, the, the for different reasons. Uh, there, there, there's there's a bit of so Wayne this Gro- is really roundabout uh, connection. There there is a little bit of logic that goes into the Wingro like similarities, where it's like the Wingro killing the guy, the truck driver, truck or the, truck, the one of the truck, truck guards there, right. just like you're all oh, fuck with me. He's like yeah. he's he just sees this slight there that isn't there, and he's right. gonna he's he feels so t- he he stumbles into Macaulay's uh, thing. Macaulay's successful getting the money, but Otis is 
messes it all up, and he's got Macaulay's woman uh, kept captive, and Macaulay's gonna f- try to rescue her before it all goes to crap. I think this is one instance. In the, I, I alluded to earlier. I want to talk a little more about this. This is the one part of the book I when I re I so I sped read reread it and kind of skimming through a lot of it. When that second re- reading, this is the part of the book where once I know what's gonna happen. This is my moment of like Neil wouldn't do that. And Neil Eliza gets killed, and this is young Neil. This is Neil learning lessons, I guess. And I that that argument does make a little little sense, but I, 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 there's a little bit of an explanation at the beginning of the uh, last part of the book uh, where he says like he did go looking for Wardell, but he couldn't find him. And but he, there's there's a line at the end of this part where. There's there's a worry because Eliza has a daughter whose character is going to come back in the last part, maybe a little too conveniently, and that Gabriella Gabriella is the daughter's name. Gabriella has a lock. Uh, Wardell takes a locket off of Eliza that has Gabriella's picture in it, so he's worried that like she's going to be a target. Why why wouldn't Neil go after him? And it, I don't know. Maybe your explanation is, is good. I, that, well, it's also I mean. She's a little girl. It's so far. Uh, that's really pushing that. If you think it's a, that that's a, a loose end. Uh, I mean, he obviously once he sees. I mean, once it comes around near the end, he, he realizes. Yeah, it was a loose end. I should have taken care of. Uh, but I, I mean, you know, a, a little locket like that. Uh, well, no, no, no. That's the thing. The locket seems like that's especially a dog, a little girl versus the grown up version of her. Um, yeah. But it. it and I mean, then you start to retroactively think, well, Neil was in LA this whole time and being the romantic he was is when he's starting to break his code, would he not like look her up? Does he know he she's there? Time. He doesn't have time. He's got to get out of town. I guess. I mean, it was Nate involved with her being relocated. It, it was her, it was, it was Gabriella's uncles that were the one that locate, relocated her. Probably. It was Gabby, so maybe he Gabby's didn't even know. Parents. So, so we're, we're, for the people listening and they haven't read the book. So Neil so everybody now we we transfer to L.A. Uh, getting closer. Uh, no, after uh, after Heat. Yeah, th- th- this, is, this is nineteen ninety nine. So we jump in. Oh, after, excuse me, two thousand. Part five takes place in two thousand. Yeah, so we jump ahead now, and the incidents in Heat have happened. Uh, and uh, so Hannah's you know always wondered about all this Macaulay stuff that's kind of hanging out there still, and the fact that Chris eluded them. Chris is still a little so on his way, but, but it's gone away a little. A little so bit. now, and just perfectly, you know, because you can, because you, because you're writing it, you're creating it, you can do this. Every piece of the of the chessboard is brought together again in L.A. Otis is in L.A. doing operations, criminal operations. Hannah is in there uh, now. We know we, of course, in L.A. Chris comes back because. Chris and Anna and their family have some dealings they have to deal with, with the criminal gangs in uh, LA before they take off to uh, out of the country. So, but Chris goes, I, I gotta see Sh- uh, Charlene, and he wants to kill Hannah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, I want to. Okay, I had a friend that really hated this part of the book. Thought, thought it derailed the book for him, and I went back. I from from both the first view, reading and the second viewing. I almost said read second second reading. First off, that structure just says this is this is building towards something. Like he can't, yeah, right, it's, right, it's right. not he's not an expansive thing. He's going to build to a point too. And, and yeah, it, it's one thing to complain about tying it all in a nice neat bow, but sometimes it's it's a still lot. a messy bow. 
Yeah, and it's fun to tie it's it fun. into a bow because what it turns into, we finally have all the pieces. Gabby, the little girl, Chris, after he's looking after, he's chasing out of Hannah. Hannah's chasing down Otis. Otis has got uh, Gabby, and we end up turning into the uh, almost hell on earth on the LA highway. It's just one big giant apocalypse of characters running around shooting and people uh, getting killed and cars crashing. Well, to your- I could see this thing in such color. I, 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 uh, when I was reading the book, it was like, you know, in a, a dark orange red. Just oh, my everywhere. God. I saw in the same way, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I didn't so, think of that. It takes uh, place at the 105-110 exchange yeah. in L.A. And, you know, for your point earlier about heat not ending in an operatic way, this is like him designing heat two to end with the bank heist. Like yeah. it's, it's this is a sequence that's going to be a jaw dropper if he can pull it. And you love and so and Chris is trying to go like, what is what is going on here? What is Hannah chasing? And then he sees that, and he sees the girl, and then he's able and to, then they get the mutual respect. For they each. end up he ends up rescuing Gabby, and he actually finds out this is Gabby that, and she recognizes Chris. Uh, and you go, oh, you know, it's a kind of a, oh, moment. Uh, the, the only thing that lost me was Wardell, the treatment of him as like the, the be all end all evil psychopath of Michael Mann in his crime world. He won't die. <laughs> no, not even that. It's just like, why are you, t- he goes 12 years uh, undercover. He like, he goes almost like quasi legit. He buys, he takes the money that it from the heist and he buys a bunch of uh, CD hotels. I mean, I like he's, yeah, he's such a he's such a he's cover character. He's such a cover character. You think you it would be hard for him to subdue himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Subdue his because I even thought like the other turned legit criminals, James Conn from Thief, and they're nothing alike. Yeah, we need to. We also should. I, I need to quickly point out when I say Chris and we see Chris and Gabby reunite. Chris was part of the crew in Mexico. Uh, uh, yeah, Gabby knew. Gabby uh, is a young girl knew Chris. Yeah, and, and, and so on the entire and, heat and crew. some of the crew Macaulay has in Mexico will be the ones we see at Castrejo. Uh, and uh, who they don't even change the name of it. Yeah. And, they're all, they're, they're with them in heat in LA. So it's just like, Anna brought some of this guys from Chicago. Uh, Macaulay's been faithful and had his group, Chicago and Mexico and now in LA. So, all right. Um, I kind of, uh, the last thing I wanted to say was the, this section begins with, you find out what happened to Lauren, Natalie Portman's character. Oh yeah. Which is nice. I, I was really happy to see that. I was curious to, I was wondering because you know uh, Michael, uh, man, and the, especially the audio commentary makes a point about how Hannah and uh, Dino Verona are have probably been through two or three marriages, like their fourth marriage, or third marriage, and uh, the way they're portrayed in the movie, it's a really interesting couple. They know, she knows what she's got with Hannah, mm-hmm. and Hannah realizes that he is screwing it up, but they, uh, 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 you know, and and the outcome is. Natalie Portman, the step stepdaughter, you know, tries to uh, commit herself, uh, uh, commit suicide, and uh, it bonds them. She's bonding to Hannah, her stepfather, in, in a very special way. But the but the story of the marriage continues even post divorce, right? Even though right, in, well, in a way that makes sense, yeah. No, and and I think of any relationship of ex wives, that's probably one that would continue, especially with the daughter and how he's still supporting her and talking to her on the phone and things like that. Uh, last thing I want to talk about here is the potential. So if Ferrari, what's coming out in December, does well, there's a good potential that Heat 2 is going to be made. Uh, first off, so they have talked a little bit about casting ideas. Like uh, So far, Adam Driver would probably play young Neil. Pacino would come back. 
Austin Butler would play Chris, and Ana Diaramas is going to be in it. Now, is she going to play uh, Elisa and Gabriella both, you think? Because there's a line in the book where they say they look alike at that age. That's a good question. I, I was thinking, uh, uh, is there another? Oh, Anna. Or is she playing Anna? No, she, Anna's a uh, Asian. Taiwanese. She's Taiwan, Taiwanese. Okay. Um, but I, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Uh, well, the big question I also have is who who do you cast as Wardell? Because Man is not known as needing to cast big uh, actors who want to do a showy psychopath thing. He casts very he casts character actors in the psychopath roles. Well, you think about it. I think it could go all the way back to nobody knew who McKellen was much in The Keep and and some of the actors in The, the Keep, and then in Manhunter, uh, Ted Noonan was is not really really known, uh, and Brian Cox, both of them. We're not that well known to American audiences. Okay. And uh, again, and then a uh, brain grow. I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen anything before or after that. That actor. Uh, he, I'm, I'm sure he lo- he looks much different with his hair cut off and his because he's really playing. Again, he's just a scary well, so, dude. I mean, a scary, scary dude. You would you wouldn't want to run into him at the fall festival or something. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Noonan uh, uh, isn't he? But but now by now we kind of know who he is. He, he did a he's a director of his own. he's a, he's actually directed some interesting little films uh and uh and then John oh we, we did mention that John Voight is made up to look like Eddie Bunker he's a, he's a nod uh physically. Oh, that, I guess that makes sense yeah uh, and uh uh so yeah it's, there's all, I mean yeah this is just uh if you're in the, the Malcolm Man universe read he too is a must read obviously well the thing I, I think when it, it observations i had towards the end was that heat is also i mentioned los angeles played itself heat is just such a fundamental one of the most fundamental la excuse me los angeles to go with the nomenclature of that documentary one of the great los angeles movies and i was thinking of one great example of a sequel made to a really definitive los angeles movie that expands the universe farther reaches is blade runner (laughs) heat 2 kind of does this where you see chicago in the heat universe you see mexico in the heat universe and I alluded to this when we were talking about the book deals, but one of my favorite things about the book, spoiler for the very last paragraph, is the last paragraph sets up Heat 3. True. And, uh, yeah. And going uh, going back to some silly thoughts uh, before we wrap it up here, I was thinking uh, he likes cafe sequences like, you know, the De Niro and, and Pacino, the famous cafe scene there. Or the you mentioned earlier, the yeah. James Con uh, Tuesday Well scene. The, other, the, the little cafe over over the highway, and then uh, and so remember they uh, they get Trejo. He's supposed to be the driver. He's out of commission uh, in the plot machinations. So you got a he has to get a driver at the last minute, and he sees one of his uh, ex teammates in the Ex-con. ex-cons, Dennis Hapert in the uh, cafe, uh, and he quits. Bud Court is just uh, uncredited. Bud Court. And I was thinking, you, do you know how many times I've watched Heat until, and I've watched the commentary a few times, and I, I think I, this last watching of the commentary when I was like, oh my god, how many times have I seen that? I realized that was Bud Cord. Cord yeah, and he's uncredited. Yeah, they, they just they should. And so I always thought it was funny because Gabby's working in a cafe where Otis and the, the first confrontation between Otis and that definitely comes yeah, out. And I thought, feeling, yeah. I wonder if it's the same cafe that Bud Cord's running. I thought that is so, is Gabby's uh, wages being taken from uh, underneath the table for yeah. some bullshit reason. So yeah, but no, it's a different cafe. So yeah, I did look that look that back up. Well, I mean, let's hope he too gets made into a movie. But if it doesn't get made into a movie, Michael Mann even said this, like when he was talking about a Ferrari doesn't do well enough and he doesn't get the right the option to doing Heat too. He's like, I still have a bestseller. Yeah, and it's a it is a 
really good. And Meg Gardner, Meg Gardner and Michael Mann wrote a great book. Do you think can you are you you're you are a much bigger, 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 bigger reader than I am. Uh, can you objectively pull yourself away and look at it as a book and not try to tie it into the movie that it holds up as a book on its own? I don't think it needs to. I think this goes back to the Don Winslow as my reference point because Don Winslow, I was talking with a friend about him the other day who loves him, Don Winslow as much as I do. We were talking about like, yeah, but Don Winslow doesn't write really distinctive characters. Michael Mann, for the most part, does. I don't, I don't want to say a lot of his characters talk the same, but like they I think he does distinctive characters. He's he's great at in, in in using cinema terms, storytelling to like differentiate everyone there too. But I mean, their the goal is propulsiveness. I like I, I think when I was really trying to get you to read the book, I kept calling it an airport book, and it's 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 way grander than that. So, but it's still, I think a book that is this entertaining sometimes gets a little backhand compliment. But it's a freaking entertaining book. No, I guess I, Jack Hanna was said he's good. He's good. <laughs> you keep calling like, Jack Hanna? Oh, Jack, well, anybody, no, I, I think of the animal guy. Uh, what is what is Hanna? Jack Hanna is the guy, the, the Tonight Show? Yeah, the, what is Hanna's first name? Uh, uh, oh, what, oh, my God, I can't believe we've got this whole conversation. Oh, this whole I can't think of Hanna's first name. That's, that's good podcasting there, where we just managed to talk this whole way around, bullshitting that we can't remember Vincent Hanna's name. Vincent. 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 Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I, I actually, well, we're, now we're just going to be backtracking. But I, I was, there's a sequence where uh, uh, John Voigt gives info, intel to uh, Macaulay about Hannah. And I was, I was trying to see if there was any mistakes made there that didn't jive with what, what happens in the, in the book. Uh, he says he's a hot dog. He says he likes to do this kind of stuff. Um, if there was any dis- disparity between, because, you know, a lot of times when you, you uh, go back and write background in history and go backwards. You didn't think about it when you initially wrote it. And so you might have some continuity errors, mm-hmm. but I don't, I think it's okay. Retcon. Retcon. I thought there might be a retcon problem there, but it's, I think it's okay. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah. But I, so the, it got Ted to read prose. <laughs> yeah. What's my next prose book I'm going to read? I don't know. I Heat three apparently. Uh, if it comes out. When it comes out. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, you got any heat sign off you want to do? That was kind of my sign off there. Did, I was like, he's good. He's good. You know. Jackie and a sign off. Uh, yeah. This book's got a great ass. <laughs> thanks everybody for listening.